Good evening and welcome to Relationship Game Changers, The Call. My name is Kim Moore and I'm so glad that you're here, that we're here, that the Spirit of the Lord is here. For where he is, there is liberty. And so I just bless God for you. I thank God for his leadership. And I just thank God that he has chosen us to be a people that were taken from the darkness, from the kingdom of darkness, and placed us in the kingdom of light. I bless him and thank him so much for all of you, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time with us. I was just thinking before we got on that, my gosh, this is uh, July 1st has been four years since we have been doing this, and the faithfulness of those that pray before the call is just um, astounding to me. You know, you can get, and people will do things for a few minutes, But when people are faithful to something, God can reveal his glory. And so I thank God for revealing his glory, not so much just because of the teaching and the praying, but because of the faithfulness of each of you that show up and pray. And for those that have been praying for me, for Richard, Mother Kennedy, we thank you. We thank you. On behalf of Richard, I know he has. I say it again. And on behalf of all of those, I tell you, you guys, You guys are unrelenting. I mean, you guys are unrelenting. And so we praise God. I will say this, that sometimes healing is a process. It's not an event. Sometimes it's a process. And so many of us are going through a process of healing. And I can also tell you the lessons that God is teaching me through this process, I'm not sure I would have gotten without this process. It is quite humbling. And I guess someday I think I should, when I'm clearly on the other side, fully on the other side, and fully in possession of the manifestation, then I probably would like to share with you just the lessons I learned going through this particular process. And so I thank you so much for all that you are and all that you've been doing. For those of you who have been joining us each week and for those on And for those who are new to this, we've been talking about reclaiming our sovereignty. Our source scripture is John 10, 17 through 19. The Father intensely loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. So Jesus is fully in charge and fully in full possession of his life, and he never gives possession of his life to another save the Father's command. He gave it to death, but it was at the Father's will and, and not just um anytime, anywhere, under any circumstances. And so we also said to to reclaim our sovereignty, we would have to do three things. We'd have to own our lives fully. We'd have to possess our lives. We can't give to, to God what we don't possess. We can't give God what we don't possess. And so part of reclaiming our sovereignty is owning our lives fully, defining our li- defining ourselves clearly. Uh, if we don't define ourselves Trust me, other people will. They try to do it anyway. So you and I are in our best interest is to define ourselves according to the word of God. And I've given you, uh, wow, seven, maybe nine things of how Jesus defined himself. We talked about bread over many weeks. And I would also say the Bible, Jesus out of his own mouth says that 
He does not live by bread alone. And so we moved on to the light in John 8, 12, and we're talking tonight about the light. And then we must lead ourselves well. If we're going to lead others best, we must lead ourselves well. And so that means we need to think, decide, and act of our own free will. And so in order to be obedient to God, then we must lead ourselves by the grace of God into obedience. And so we've been talking about that, reclaiming our sovereignty. We've been talking about becoming the word. We are the word. We are the finished work, but we are a work in progress. And so we're becoming the word. And so John eight twelve says, tonight I'm going to answer two questions, by the way. Let, for those of you that need to jump off, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Then let me do it so that if you need to jump off, you'll know where I'm going. I want to answer two questions tonight. One, or at least begin to answer two questions, and they are this. How, uh, how, how do we make the light obvious? How does the light become obvious in us? And what kind of light are we? How does the light become obvious, and what kind of light are we? John eight twelve says, Jesus speaking, I am the light of the world. And I've told you before, if Jesus is the light, that makes us the light. For as he is, so now are we in the earth. Just John, 1 John 4, 17. So tonight I'm going to answer those two questions or begin. But before I do, I want to just suggest to you that there's different kinds of lighting. There's different kinds of lighting. The light, uh, the light is the same, but there are different kinds of lighting. And... Um, Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm just going, I'm not a, 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 this is not science. This is just what I've been able to find. So if there are those on the line that are scientific and, and understand this better than I do, I certainly will welcome your input. But I just wanted to make it simple enough for us to be able to grasp that there's different kinds of lighting. So, for instance, fluorescent light is really, really bright. And I don't know about you, but I don't really like fluorescent light. It's, you know, it's the kind of light we used to see and sometimes still see in office buildings or medical situations, um, and it's generally there for tasks. So in a fluorescent light, the contrast is very sharp. You know, it causes you to be alert. Um, you know, I think in my, in my laundry room, I have an overhead light that is fluorescent, and it's the least liked light in my house. Um, but fluorescent light can be in, in swing lamps. You know, my bathroom vanity, the mirror it, ha- mirror, it has a fluorescent light, and it shows contrast. Sometimes the contrast I really don't want it to show, but fluorescent light will show clearly right and what's not right, what you like and what you don't like, particularly if you're looking in a vanity mirror. Then there's ambient light, and that light is soft. It's not glaring. It's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like um, it, it's, it's mood setting. It's calming. It flows. It's not obstructive. It's not going to be necessarily contrasting, but it just creates this atmosphere of kind of nat- – it's just nat- – it's like natural light, but it's this atmosphere of, like, well-being. And you get that in, like, recessed light. Some of us in our basement have recessed lights, so you can get it through track lighting. Some chandeliers create, you know, or we can even have dimmer switches on lights that can adjust and create this ambient light. It's conversational light. It's, 
you know, I'm welcoming you light. You know, I'm not in your face like fluorescent light. I'm not going to call you out, but we're here and we can talk and, and, and I'm going to um, just be present as you're present. And then there's accent lighting. And that's the kind of lore, more like if you have a really nice picture in your house and you want people to see it, you might put a light under it so it shines up on the picture. And accent lighting is just intended to make something else shine. So it's used specifically to bring light to something else. And it brings the importance or significance. So if you ever walked in a, you know, museums use that kind of light a lot to cast it on pictures or in a historical building on sign you know just on just information that that they want to stand out about that particular environment I believe Jesus was all of those lights you know to some he was a fluorescent light the stinging contrast between good and evil I also think he was an ambient light to those that he was at times dining with and wanted to come into the fellowship of the Father in the fellowship of the kingdom. But I also believe that he was the accent light to the Father, and you'll see that in some of the scriptures I, you know, I read today. But I, I'm just, I'm certain there are other ways to talk about lights and lighting. Um, I'm just saying that just to suggest that we're not all, we're just not all the same. And yet we need all types of lighting to reveal the glory of God. So different lights have different purposes. Different lighting has different purposes. And so be an interesting question to think about what kind of light are you? What kind of light has made you? What kind of light does God desire you to be? So, Father, tonight as we dwell into your word, I ask you, Lord, to reveal your presence, Lord, to each one. Lord, I ask for the next few minutes that I could speak to the heart of your people and not simply the head. Father, I want the heart of your people because you said your people hear your voice and another they won't follow. And so, Father God, it's in our heart that we hear your voice. So my desire, God, is your people hear your voice and that they're drawn to you, God. For you said if we lift you up, you would draw all men unto yourself. And our desire tonight is to lift you up. Our desire is to bring glory to your name. And so, Father, put a bit in my mouth and a bridle on my tongue, God. Keep me from going to the left or to the right. But, Father God, those things that you want imparted on this call, Father, I pray that you would direct me likewise, God. I give you full possession of my very being, God. And I just bless you, and I thank you for the people on this line. I thank you for what you're doing in them. And I thank you that together, God, we are, we are the body of Christ. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. So again, I, what kind of light are you? Are you the fluorescent, you know, alerting and contrasting? You're sounding the alarm. You're warning people. Are you an ambient, soft, kind of not in your face, kind of supportive, but you provide opportunity? Are you an accent light? You are shining light. Perhaps God has given you to walk with another, and you're an accent light, and God has caused you to, to bring light to this person as they bring light or shine their way or shine the light on Christ. So just interesting, something to think about, because your lighting will also give you some information about the kinds of situations you find yourself in, but also it'll keep you from comparing yourself to others. Fluorescent lights aren't supposed to be like ambient lights. 
So when we're ambient light and we're trying to function like a fluorescent light, stuff's going to go way wrong. God wants us to be happy and settled in who he created us to be, that his light, that the lighting he has called us to be can work and do what he intends it to do in the relationships he's given us to influence. Paul says in Ephesians 3, 8, he says this, this is the grace that was given to me, the least of all saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery for all for ages in God who created all things in order that or this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known to the church to through the church to the rulers authorities in heaven to the rulers the principalities and powers in heaven that through the church that we together the fluorescent lights the ambient and the the accent lights together we may make known the manifold wisdom to the rulers the principalities and powers of darkness so let's talk about becoming what we are because we are the light but we also must become the light it's one thing to declare that you're something it's another thing to become it um, I can declare that I used the example last week I, de- I can declare that I am a driver I have a driver's license but if I've never driven a car I haven't become a driver although I have a license I have permission I haven't become a driver and we can see that also in in God's relationship with Abraham in Romans 4 that he was counted righteous because he believed God but he was accepted when he received the seal of approval so we're accounted based on our declaration and our profession but we are accepted we are approved by receiving the seal so we must become that which we are John 12 44 through 46 reads this Jesus cried out the one who believes in me the one who believes not in me but in him who sent me and the one who sees me sees him who sent me so listen to what he says the one who believes in me believes in me and then he says not in me so he's listen to what he's saying he's he's an accent light here he's saying the one who believes in me not in me but in him who sent me so Jesus is shining the light an accent light on the father in this very verse and then verse 45 says and the one who sees me sees him who sent me Wow, the one who sees me sees the one who sent me. So he was both a light and the kind of lighting that he was producing in this verse was an accent light because he says that he who believes in the one who sent me. So the Father sent Jesus and Jesus sent us. So our job is to cast light uh, on Jesus, and we do that in different kinds of lighting. Then it says in verse 46, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. So the world needs our light and our lighting so that it will not remain in darkness. Those that God has given you to influence, 
are different than the people God has given me to influence, but they need our light and our lighting so they don't have to remain in darkness. And so, John, and I want to jump to this because this is really the crux of, I guess, where I really want to get to is we know the verse, John uh, 3.16, and we read it all the time. For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his only, one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlast, every, will have eternal life or everlasting life. But I wonder how many of us go on and read a few verses down because it's very, very telling. So verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is important. This is verse 19. This is the judgment. So for those that do not believe in Christ, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Did you know when God will have you to speak to an individual, a person, or a group, and they do not hear you, they do not listen to you, that it will become a marker against them in the day of judgment? And that's why we don't have to fight with people. We just have to deliver the truth, deliver the word, deliver the message that God has given us to deliver, and allow God to wrestle with their soul, because if they refuse to receive the word, not you, that in the day of judgment, these things will become a marker against them. So in verse 19, it says, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, And people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. The reason they loved darkness is because they were practicing evil. Now, I know we don't like to think in our lives we're practicing evil because we're saved. We believe in Jesus Christ. Then verse 20 says this, For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. So they avoid the light in order not to be exposed, because what does light do? It exposes. Light shines in the darkness. It exposes what really is. Several weeks ago I gave you the example of how God delivered me from uh, depression, and I remember that I was – I. There was a, to make a long story short, um, I just got this urge to go into this place. And in this time, this time, I decided, Jesus, I want you to go with me into this place. And will you take, you know, take my hand and go? And he did. And I became this little girl. And Jesus was standing beside me. And we walked down these steps. And then when Jesus opened the door, it was like his light just lit up everything. He was a fluorescent light for me that day. And it was very clear there were bleachers in this U shape all around. 
and there were there stacked like a three rows of bleachers. And if you ever been to a sporting event, then you understand what bleachers are. But they were in a U shape and they were stacked in three. And on these bleachers were imps, the devil's imps, sitting all around. I never saw them before. And in the middle of this U shape and these bleachers was um, a chair. And I knew instinctively that that was the chair that I sat in. And then Jesus said to me, do you want to go in? Do you want to sit in that chair? And I was like, no, sir. And I would tell you, and he says, do you want to come back here? And I'm like, no, sir. And we turned around. Jesus closed the door. We turned around. That door never opened again. And what I would tell you is that when the light shines on a darkness, and it makes clear what the darkness in, in that is the power and the grace to move beyond that. In that is the power and the grace to move beyond it. Now, there's some, there's some things we might have to wrestle with in our life just because of the, the entrenchment of those things in our life. But I'll tell you, that day changed my life. That day, there is no, there's no battle with depression. There's no challenge with, I, that is not who I am. That is not who I choose. That door has never been opened again for one simple reason. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, shine his fluorescent light in that dark room and revealed to my own eyes what it was. And I wanted no parts of it when I saw it. And my prayer is that in your darkest places that you would trust God to reveal the, reveal the, to come in, allow his light to come in and reveal the darkness such that you just have an, uh, an instant reaction to that. Absolutely not, no way, no how, no more, not me. That's, I pray that for you because that one situation and, and dealing with depression, and some of you may deal with depression. I'm talking about well-meaning Christians. I'm talking about those of us that pray. I'm talking, listen, the, the sun shines on the just and the unjust. The rain shines, the rains on the just and the unjust. We get the privilege of having a Lord and Savior who sees us through these things. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to have to deal with these things. I, I like what uh, my friend um, Belinda Campbell said. She said, there's no sickness or disease in the kingdom, but we still at times have to address sickness and disease. And, you know, it's just very poignant. And so that's my prayer for you. So it says for in verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Verse 21, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So how do you and I become the light that we are? Because as Jesus is, so are we now in the world. So how do we become the light? We are the light, but how do we become the light? How do we become the kind of lighting that Jesus has called for in our lives? How do we make it obvious? Well, verse 20 tells us, it says, when we come to the light, when we come to the light, the only way you can come to the light is if you were in full possession of yourself, of your life. Remember, the first thing about reclaiming your sovereignty is to own yourself fully. 
And in order to come to the light and bring yourself to the light, you must own yourself fully. You must come, which is an independent, it's an act of your will. So we have to come to truth. We have to live by the truth. But this means coming to the truth. This means being willing to hear the truth. It means becoming lovers of the truth as it relates to our own conversion. It means we have to become true to the truth. I mean, it means that we have to be come to the truth when the truth crushes our ego. I don't know about you, but some of the greatest lessons I've learned from the Father, they crushed my ego before they converted my heart. They didn't bypass my ego. They crushed my ego before they converted my heart. And I can give you story after story. Even now, one of the lessons I'm learning through this process is just a greater degree of humility. Listen, the struggle is real, and we're all struggling with something. The question is, are we coming to the truth by the struggle, and do we have a support system that can support us through the struggle? Two very, very important things. So truth can come by reading God's word. It can come by conviction and invitation that you hear in a sermon. You know, you hear a sermon, it's like, you just like feel, my God, is this person up in my house, up in my room? And you just feel like they're speaking directly to you and God is calling for a response from you in that particular sermon. I like to think of conviction as an invitation because God has not come into the world to condemn the world, but through him that the world might be saved. So when we get pricked in our conscience, when, when our ego gets, uh, when our ego gets um, pricked, it's really a time for a conversation with God. But oftentimes when our egos get pricked, we defend ourselves. We're really quick to defend ourselves. So, you know, those sermons that, that sound like that they were made for just for us, you know, you can, you can receive truth in those sermons that can change your life. You know, it can come, you know, the truth can come to you as God deals with you in your prayer closet. I mean, there are times where, you know, I've asked God, is this true? Someone might have said something and I say, is this true? And then the hardest thing to realize, one of them had to do with pride when I asked God, am I pride or, you know, do I have this self-righteousness? And, you know, I'm in prayer with God, and it was like there was everything in me was just like, yes, and amen, you are. And it was just extremely humbling. And so I think these are our preferred ways. I like when God speaks to me in my prayer closet. I like when it comes, I prefer it when it comes to a sermon or when I'm reading God's word. And And maybe you do too, because when they come that way, they really don't involve anyone else personally. It doesn't involve anybody getting into your stuff. You can share as much or as little of it as you want to, but you're not obligated. And you can you leave with the idea, yep, I was in my prayer closet and God dealt me dealt with me with this, and I need to repent to you and I need to apologize because I misspoke or I said this. And so they really don't go through your process. They you you really don't go through a. Um, it, it, it's just different when when God is dealing with you as an individual, because we don't really have to talk about it with anybody else. We can give the testimony of it. Um, But I'll tell you this, in my Bible, throughout my Bible, when God wants to change a person, when God wants to change 
part of a person. He uses a person. When God wants to change a person, he uses a person. He may often begin the work by himself. He began the work with Paul by himself, you know, on the road to Damascus. It was him and God. As a matter of fact, Paul said, I, when, when this happened, you know, I'm taught of the Lord. Nobody taught me anything. I mean, he had almost an arrogance about himself. And I haven't taught on Paul, but if you look at Paul's process, Paul, Paul's process, you know, involved, he said himself, I didn't go to any when I first received. I'm taught of the Lord. And then you'll recall he says when he met the apostles, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. And then he went on to say that I'm the least of the saints. And then he said that I'm the chief sinner. Do you see the progression here? God is dealing with Paul, not just by himself at that point, but he's dealing with him through circumstances and circumstances that involve people. Because people have a way of bringing us to a place of humility that just being in your prayer closet alone will not. So he may often begin the work. By his, by the Holy Spirit, and that's you know, and all of us, I believe, he begins the work. He's the author of it. He's the creator of it. And so, I oftentimes, and maybe always, probably always, he begins the work by himself. But inevitably, inevitably, just read the scripture. Inevitably, when God wants to make a change or lead somebody to a new place, it will always involve a new person. I don't have time to break that down, but I could show you scripturally how that happens. And so when you and I avoid people and think that we can get where God wants in our personal life, in our personal development, without dealing with the people in our life, we're going to have a problem. Because in every major figure in the Bible, a human being was involved in their transformation. And I would tell you, a human being is involved in your transformation. But I'm telling you, it's also really hard. It is really hard. I can tell when everything's fine and when I shift to talking to somebody's heart. I can't really see you guys now, but I can tell when I'm speaking live to a a group of people. I can see, I can feel, I mean, I'm serious, I can feel when the hearts begin to pull back when I say something that is uncomfortable to a person. Oh, my gosh. It's really, really hard when God begins to deal with our heart because he's dealing with our, in most cases, he's dealing, he's dealing with pride. He's dealing with pride. He's dealing with self-righteousness. He's dealing with lust. And so it's really, really hard. And I would tell you that even the most anointed, even the most gifted, um, will shrink from the sword so much as when the tip touches their heart. I'm telling you, I've been been in full-time ministry since, my gosh, since 1996. I've seen a lot. I've I've been with the, the celebrities. I've been with the, I'm telling you, when the heart begins to be touched, People react. People have a response. So I want to read verse 20 again to you because I hope and my desire is that even in this teaching, you feel and you sense the love of God because I have no desire. Woe is me to judge you. My desire is that all of us come clean, that all of us are walking uprightly in an attitude and, and, and a purity without mixture of motives. 
And unless we come to the light, we don't even know if our motives are mixed. We can be declaring our motives right, and they can be wrong. I'll read that to you in Scripture. But verse 20 says this, for everyone who does evil, hate, I'm sorry, yeah, hates the light. I'll go back to verse 19. No, verse 20. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. And so I want to read a few scriptures to you from other versions. That verse, verse 20, from the Amplified, the Message, and the um, Passion Translation, because I really just believe that it amplifies these scriptures. So here's the Amplified. For every wrongdoer, that is everyone practicing wrong, hates, loathes, detests the light, and will not come out into the light, but shrinks from it, lest his works, his deeds, his activities, his conduct be exposed and reproved. The message version says this, this is the crisis we're in. God's light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes practice of doing evil addicted to denial and illusion hates God's light and won't come near it, fearing painful exposure. But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God's light so that his work can be seen as from God or God, God work it is. And then the Passion Translation. So the wicked hate the light and try to hide from it, for the light exposes their lives. So let me give you a few reasons. Let me give you at least three reasons why you and I hide while we'll run from the light. And um, I just ask you to just consider these things before the Lord. Um, The first reason is deception. We all believe some lies about ourselves and prefer the lie to the truth. He said again, we all believe some lies about ourselves and prefer the lie to the truth. All we have to do is examine your personal relationships and we'll get some idea about some of the lies you believe or you prefer to the truth. And here's what Proverbs 14:12 says. There is a way that seems right to a person but its end is the way of death. So are your personal relationships and those that you love the most, do they suffer in your presence or are they edified or advanced? I don't need your opinion about that. I would want their opinion about that because they are the fruit of your interaction with them. And then Proverbs 16.2 says, All of a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the motive. So God is evaluating your motives. So God is more concerned about why you do what you do than what you do. See, he's already judged and condemned sin. What is not on the table or why you do what you do. That's the discussion God wants to have with us. Why do you do what you do? I have a friend, and every time they get in a, and I may, I think maybe it's true of all of us, I don't know, but the, the question just came to me that it seems every time they would get in this good place, then they would be tempted by things that God had delivered them from. And so I, I, I said to this person, I said, perhaps you need to ask God why, because there is an outstanding issue that these things continue to be drawn to you. 
And so when it comes to de- deception, you know, one of the ways you know that somebody's operating in deception is they're very defensive. They blame. Uh, they're defensive. They blame. Um, those are just two that immediately come to mind. They justify themselves. Isn't it interesting when when others do something to you, you want them to admit what they've done. But when you do something to others and it's brought to, or, or we do something to others and it's brought to our attention, we want to explain why we did it. We're not, we don't necessarily want to admit what we did. We want to explain our motives. It's our reasons for doing it, but we want others to first admit to what they've done. Well, that's what, that's, that's what confession of sin is. That's what coming to the light is. It's an admission of what we've done. But God says, come let us reason together that I can acquit you. So God wants to talk about your reasons. He wants to talk about why you do what you do. He wants to talk about why you said that that way to that person. And that is the level of relationship. That is the level of intimacy that God wants to have with us. The other reason, another reason that we don't come to the light is guilt and shame. One of the things the light does, it pricks our pride. The light can be humiliating to us. Why? Because it exposes guilt and shame, guilt for what we've done and shame for what that may have made us, who that made us in that moment, who we are in that moment. And I'm telling you, guilt and shame, many of, many Christians, many gifted Christians, many anointed Christians deal with guilt and shame because they've never had the conversation with God or with another as to their why. What happened? What's your story? What went on that caused you to, and, and I'll tell you what, um, without that, it's really, really difficult to come to the light. And then the third reason is fear of judgment. People don't like to talk to people, and honestly, people don't like to talk to Christians a whole lot because even though we say we're nonjudgmental, we are. We are. We're kind of like looking out of our eye, squinting our eye, raising our eyebrow. We can't even sit straight (laughs) when someone comes to us with a sin, as if we are the judge and jury of that sin, when that sin has already been judged and tried, and the real conversation is, why? How did you get here? I don't have time to tell you of a story. I went all the way to Peru, and I remember a pastor said to me, he said, I want to know, I, he, he says, every time you get started, it's like this, this, this um, bungee cord, you get snapped back, and I want to know why. And as always, because I'm Christian, I said, oh, God, i got to list my sins out here. And the kicker was Amy was with me, and Amy was translating because the guy didn't speak English, and I didn't speak Spanish. And so the, now the, the person's with me, my daughter, the person that's supporting me, and he's asking me these really personal questions. And so I thought he wanted to know what my sin, you know, what God delivered me from. So I started listening, listening them to him, and he said, oh, no, I'm not interested in that. God covered that, and I'm thoroughly convinced that you've can you've repented but i want to know why i want to know how you got here i want to know what kept this thing in place and i mean it was just the most loving experience that that i've had and i mean i mean amy probably has another rendition of that but i knew that god sent me there not only to minister see sometimes we think we're sent somewhere to help it because we can make it better and i always say this 
when God sends us to a place, we, always, we tend to overestimate what God wants to do through us, and we underestimate what God wants to do in us. And when we do that, we're likely to miss God. Because the Bible says not only are we his co-laborers, not only are we working together with him, but we're his workmanship created unto the praises of his glory. So as we are working, he is working on us. So there's, a two, there's two conversations going on here, and sometimes we forget the second conversation because that a lot has to do with us. Listen, my friends, if we're going to reclaim our sovereignty, um, then we must own our lives fully, the good and the bad. And that means coming to the light. It means defining ourselves clearly. We are the light. Jesus sent us. He left us in the earth. He sent us to finish to finish the work and the will of the Father on the Father in his behalf. We are the light of the world. We each have a lighting that God wants to shine. And if we don't know that, if we don't become the light, how will we shine it? How does the light become obvious in others? It first must be shining in you. It first must be lighting in you. We are just a a conveyor of the light. And sometimes people can't see the light because you're standing in the way with all your scriptures, with all your knowledge, with all your titles and all of you're standing in the way. Just move over and let just let Jesus be Jesus. He doesn't need help being Jesus. I think um, someone on the call earlier, Mother Kennedy quoted a scripture, one of my favorite scriptures, Galatians 2.20. It says, we've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live. It's not us, but it's Christ in us, and this life we now live, we live in, 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 in devotion or yieldedness or in submission to the, in surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to help the light be the light. You just have to be a place that the light can reside. You don't have to decide what kind of lighting you are. That's already been determined. We're not all the same kind of lighting. Different lighting has different voices. Different lighting has different amplifications. And so when I'm trying to be a light that I'm not, I'm going to be uncomfortable. It's called pretense. It's called being phony. And while we might fool some, we will never fool God. He says all of our ways seem right in us. You know, God has given each of us a call, an assignment, and because I have an assignment in one area does not mean that I have the anointing and the glory to speak in every area. Oh, my gosh. And when I try to, then I prevent you from being who God called you to be in the lane that he's called you to be in. And so we need to learn how to yield to one another. But how can we learn how to yield to one another if we're not even relating to one another honestly about our lives? And so we have to lead ourselves well. We have to lead ourselves. We have to come to the light. We have to bring ourselves to the light. And so if we're going to be, if we're going to be that um, which we are, then we have to come to the light. Now, here's, I do know this, and I'm going to kind of end in, uh, on this note, is I, I, know, I know that people are not always safe. I know Christians are some of the most unsafe people. I know that religion is unsafe. I know that the fact that there's so many Christians, there's a saying one time that Christians will crucify their own. 
you know? And, and so I know even those that profess Christ are unsafe, and it hinders us from being honest in relationships. But the bigger question is, first of all, are you safe? Am I safe? Am I a person that you would want to talk to? Am I a person that you would trust with your heart? Because I believe that God gives everyone, someone, that they can trust with their heart. Otherwise, the process of conversion could not take place. And so I want to be a safe place, first of all, and I want you to be a safe place. I want that the love of God to permeate us. And so, Father, make us a safe place first. Make us a non-judgmental people for the sake of others. Let your love flood our souls, not just be in our spirit, God. I know that your love has been poured out in our spirit. But, Father, call that love to migrate to our soul like never before. I pray, God, as we use all of our willing and choosing parts, God, Lord, we call forth the love in our spirit to migrate to our souls, to overwhelm us, to cleanse us, to heal us, to restore us, to strengthen us, Lord, to make, Lord, us a safe people for the sake of others. Father, I thank you and I praise you that the compassion of God would well up in us like never before. Lord, that the light, that the lighting that you've called us to be, God, in it you would be glorified. I thank you that together we are the bride of Christ. I thank you that together we are showing forth the manifold wisdom of God to the powers, the principalities, and powers. I thank you, Father, for the gifts and anointings that are, reside on this line. I thank you that you've given them to us freely, God. I thank you that you've given us the gifts freely, and they're, Lord, without revocation, God. You don't call them back. You don't take them back. But the character, the integrity is what we give you. And, Father God, I pray for a people that have character integrity that will come to the light, that will hear the truth about themselves when it cauterizes their ego before it hits their heart. Father, make these a people that can sit in the room and, and Lord, that their, cry, their, uh, that their pride, Lord, be addressed. Lord, that even when they experience humiliation, God, they don't retaliate, God, but they seek the remedy of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that your desire is to create a people unto yourself, a people that truly are kings and priests, God, delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the light of Jesus Christ. We thank and we praise you. Amplify this word in the mind and the heart of your people. And, Father, if there's anything I've said that is a miss that misrepresents you, then I pray it rolls off the back of the leaves like water rolls off a wet dust back, that it wouldn't stick to them. But any truth that has been, Lord, released tonight, I pray that as your people rest their heads on their pillow, that, God, you would softly communicate to them that you would entreat them, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would change them because of this interaction. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amy? Yes. Thank you, Kim. That was so good. And I thank everyone for joining us tonight. I want to give you the replay number. And also it will be up on podcasts for those of you who like to podcast. 
Um, the replay for tonight is 605-475-4980, and the access code is 341-000-POUND. And um, tonight's call number is 165-POUND. I also want to give you my number in case you have any questions or want to coach with Kim. My number is 678-754-0867. Thank you so much. Kim, do you have anything else? No, I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless all of you in the name of Jesus, and may his word come alive in you. Amen. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Good night. 